Okay, y'all, we're going to start. We're in Romans 5, 12 through 21. We're finishing the chapter, God willing, tonight. And I'm actually going to back up just a few verses because Paul starts with a therefore. Of course, the whole book of Romans is one long argument, so we're always in the middle of something. But I'm going to, these are certainly connected. And so I'm just going to back up a few verses. Let me start in verse 8. So Romans 5, verse 8, and then our formal text will pick up in 12. Okay, but God shows, Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One of the most precious verses in the Bible. Verse 9, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And Andrew asked some questions about this last week. Uh, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Okay, now, so now we're jumping into our, the text that we haven't been in, which is about the two Adams, death in Adam, life in Christ. Okay, death through Adam, life through Christ. So verse 12, therefore, Paul having just written that, he says, therefore, in light of everything I've just said, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, and by men, of course, he means humans. I shouldn't say of course. By men, he means all humans. Because all sinned, so, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted. This is one of the, the more difficult and naughty bits of verses that we will spend some time on tonight. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Okay. Verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Okay. Before the law, yet, yet, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. And he's speaking of Jesus there. Verse 15, but the free gift is not like the trespass. So now he's moving from primarily from Adam to the second Adam to Jesus. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more, there's that much more again. Paul's liking that in this section. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Adam, I I inserted the word Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift, there's not much more again, and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That is truly an astonishing verse. We'll return to that at the end briefly. Therefore, as Paul wraps this chapter, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. What a bold verse. What a bold statement. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to read the scripture first, and now I want to pray for you. Welcome. Glad you're here.
Um, we're in Romans 5. You may know that. Romans 5, we just went, we're 12 through 21. So, okay. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Uh, this is a good word. All of your words are good. All of your words are necessary for faith and for life um, in your son, Jesus Christ. They all lead us to him. This one, certainly, certainly, certainly. This one is hard, Lord. Um, it has some naughty stuff in it. It's good stuff, but it's hard to understand some of it. And it's profound and weighty even. And it's definitely humbling. It's definitely humbling. And it's definitely liberating. So I pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, that you would loose my tongue to, and our tongues to, to speak your truth, that you would help us to see Jesus and Jesus that you would meet with us, that we would love you more, that we would, uh, your, the unfolding of your war would give light. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I started, friends, with Romans 5, 8 through 11. Yes, because they come before, but also because Paul, Paul here, um, well, he, he's really talking about, um, well, okay, I started with Romans 5, 8 through 11, and he, and, and he gets, he's waxing eloquent in 8 through 11 about, and that's from last week, we finished with that last week, but about how the greatness of our salvation, how we've been justified in Jesus Christ. We deserve God's wrath, but through faith in Christ, we have been reckoned as righteous with an alien and outside righteousness, his righteousness. And we've been, we've been reconciled. We, we, uh, we are being saved. We have been saved and are being saved. It's being worked out in us by his life. And so it's cause for, cause for rejoicing. It's this amazing passage about the greatness of our salvation in Christ. And then he moves into the two Adams. And that's really what our text is about tonight is the two Adams. The first Adam, Adam and Eve in the garden, the first human. And then the second Adam. Jesus Christ. Um, so what's the connection? What's the connection? Why did I, why does Paul follow the two Adams um, from on from this text that in 8 through 11? Uh, Paul has just stated our salvation in total and profound terms. Christ has completely justified the worst of sinners, all who come to him in faith. So now, what's he going to do? Why does he why does he move to, what's the, what's the connection? What, why does he move into this section on the two atoms? We're both created by God. In other words, well, the Adam se- was not born a woman. That's and true. And so there's a connection there. Well, and Jesus was. Christ, being born by woman, was created by God. Adam was sinless. Jesus was sinless. And so there's certainly that connection here. And we see that connection in G, and Paul makes it all over the place in our text, formal, our ver, verses 12 through 21. But my question is, why is he moved from this great salvation that we have to talking about Adam? And I think that, um, look, he's, he's basically, so um, he's just talked about our amazing salvation in Christ, the righteousness that we grab hold of through faith, that's Jesus's, that's, that's imputed to us, that's, that's reckoned to us. So now he's going to show us how he can make such claims. How is Jesus' salvation so total? And to, to show us how Jesus' salvation is so total, what he's doing is he's going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. He's going back to the roots. He's going all the way back to Adam. Because through Adam, we, we receive death. That's right. Through Christ, we receive life. That's right, exactly. So he's going back, he's going back to the beginning. Um, Okay, so here's here's the deal. Jim, um, Jim Carrey. I almost, I almost said Jim Carrey, and I'm, I, and, I'm ta- and I'm trying to say Tim Keller. I don't know. There's I don't know. If there's any connection other than both are white men. But um, so Tim Keller 
I'm pretty sure it was Keller. I heard him lecture, lecturing once, and he said something to the effect of, it's the job of the teacher, among many other things, to make things that people think are simple a little bit more complex. Like if you're teaching John 3.16, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. And so it's like, well, we think we know this verse, but actually it's really profound. Let's dive into what the verse means. And then he said, so it's the job of the teacher in part to make simple things or think that you, things that you think you know, they're simple, complex, a little more complex, surprisingly so, and then to make complex things simple. And I really want, I see this as a fairly complex passage. It's always fascinated me. It's always challenged me. I'm certainly not master of any section of scripture, at least of all this one, maybe. Um, maybe even least, it may be even less so uh, Romans 9, but we'll get there at some point. Um, but I, I, one of my desires is to try to, I'm not going to untie all the, all the knots, but to try to help us to, it, to see in some senses the simple, what, what the movement of Paul and what he's arguing here. So I want to try my first stab at that right now. Um, that being said, I mean, I, this is the text that maybe so far I wish I could have spent the most time on. And it's the, and, and I just, right now I just have Mondays. So, and, it, and that was not nearly enough time. I wanted to spend three or four times the amount of time I, I did. And so, um, yeah, that's just a, a disclaimer, but so imagine the entire human race. Now we're into five, 12 through 21. Imagine the entire human race from creation, um, Adam, right? From Adam to the end of time as two family trees. So all the way from the first man, all the way to the end, uh, when Jesus returns, um, imagine, imagine all of humanity as two family trees. Okay. So you kind of got in your head where it even looks like a, like a Christmas tree. Like you have the one up top, right? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, in Adam's case, you have the two Adam and Eve. And then, uh, in Jesus case, there's no counterpart. It's, it's, it's through faith in Christ. It's, there's another, there's another new, uh, unstained by, un, unenthralled by sin and, and uh, not, no longer under the power of death, a new family. And it comes from Christ. So one comes from Adam, the first Adam, and one comes from Christ, the second Adam. So it's the whole human race is under these two uh, men. There are, there are two heads, the, second, the first Adam and the second Adam, Adam and Jesus, two people on the top. Um, so again, one is the first Adam, Adam, and the second is the second Adam, Jesus. All humans come from one or the other in the whole human race. That's it. So that's the biblical picture of how humanity divvies up, um, how humanity divides. And, and Paul is going back to Adam in part to show us this. He's showing us the biblical anthropology is not primarily... Now, different colors of people, different ethnicities, different cultures, different, uh, you know, all sorts of differences are beautiful to God. Um, in fact, you see in Revelation, like part of the picture of the new creation is all this diversity. Um, so like different, different races, different, different colors of skin, different cultures, those won't be erased in the new heavens and new earth. That'll be part of, I mean, uh, that'll be part of the new creation in our, in our differences being united in Christ, right? Not divided anymore, but united in Christ is this beautiful tapestry of all these different threads that are united under our head, Jesus. Um, but really, fundamentally and primarily, the biblical picture of anthropology is that there are, there are only two races. Socioeconomic class isn't what divides us or separates us. Age isn't, you know, male or female isn't primarily and fundamentally, although those things are obviously 
real and important and part of our image bearing. Um, race isn't um, social standing, like I said, money, how much money you have, where you are in the social ladder. Those, those things are not, in the biblical view, um, what, what place us in, in these two, what, what divide us. So um, the biblical anthropology is based on these two atoms, these two men, these two humans. Which, and the Bible says, which one do you come from? Do you come from the first atom? Are you in the first atom? Are you born of the first atom? Are you in the second atom, Jesus? Are you born of the second atom? That's, that's the ultimate question that will, that will inform and determine the eternal destiny of every single human. And that's really, if I can say this, that is really the way that Christians primarily, not overlooking things that are important like race and culture and all those things are amazing, but that's really primarily the way that Christians ought to see uh, the world is... Are, are you in the second Adam? Have you simply been born or have you been born again into the second Adam? Um, okay, so we're going we're gonna to get into that. Um, but I think this is one of the most important and the, one of the most foundational uh, passages in the entire Bible. So let's, let's buckle up and, and get moving through it some. Um, with that perhaps helpful, perhaps not helpful attempt at trying to give a sort of overview of maybe some of what Paul's talking about here. Okay, so the, the flow, let me just do this. What I want to get into, it, it, tonight's different. I want to try to kind of go, okay, there are three like sections in this passage in Romans 5, 12 through 21. I want to name the three sections and then as clearly as I can try to distill, here's what each section's about without spending much time on any of the distillations. Here's the first section. And then Paul moves in verse 15 to the second section. And then he moves in, I think, 18 to the, to the third section. Okay, I want to try to give a distillation so that we can kind of go, okay, here's, here's what Paul's saying, I think. And then we'll jump into some of the knots more. Like verse 13 is a knot and some other things, okay? And then hopefully, unlike last time, we'll have some time for questions. And if we, let me talk for a little bit just about the distillation. But if we have questions throughout, please, please interact. That's great. We do not have to say them all to the end. Okay, number one, the flow, the career of the first Adam. Okay, the career of the first Adam. Um, I don't remember writing the word career. That's interesting. I really raced through this. I haven't even reread these notes. Okay, the career, so this should be interesting. The career of the first Adam, verses 12 through 14. Okay, um, sin came from, let me, this is a distillation in my own words of what I think verses 12 through 14 are about. And we'll come back to all this, or some of this. The career of the first Adam, verses 12 through 14. And that's the first thing that, that Paul talks about. Okay? Sin came from Adam and spread to all of us. And sin leads to death, right? So what's the cause of death? Totally different answers from different people um, outside the Christian faith. The Bible gives one answer. But today you get all sorts of, some people, I've heard, literally heard Christian, I'm, gonna putting, I'm using scare quotes, air quotes. Um, aren't those interchangeable? Some people say scare quotes, some people say air quotes. Uh, anyway, okay. Um, I'm using scare quotes uh, around Christian scholars, but um, from high-powered uh, academic universities with PhDs, um, which is part of the problem probably. But they, they, were, they were talking about death as biblically even. Hey, death is our friend. Death is a warm fuzzy. Death is just what we're all heading there. No, the Bible, the Bible clearly clear. That's unbiblical. The Bible clearly speaks of death as an, as an intruder. It's not, not what God created and as an enemy. And it's the enemy that Jesus will at last destroy. And he took the stinger out of death at the cross. 
by dying himself. Through death, he destroyed the power of death. And he made of death for all those in him a garden. We, it's a re, there's, a, there's a profound reason that the first man was created by God in the garden. And the second man, by the way, Adam and Adam in Hebrew just means man. It means human. So the first human, Adam, was, was created in a garden. The second, the second human rose to a new kind of life that all who look to him will also enter into by being united to him by faith in a garden. In a garden. So he makes of death, his tomb literally was in a garden and he rose to a new life, to a new kind of human life. Um, defeating the power of death in a garden. Um, so Jesus makes of death a garden. But, so let me, let, me, let me say over the career of the first Adam that we're looking at in this first section, 12 through 14. Sin came from Adam and spread to all of us and sin leads to death, right? So death is around because of sin, because of our rebellion. Not, not for any other reason. That's what the, the clear biblical message. Um, sin came from Adam and spread to all of us and sin leads to death for all men. The word men here is used, but it means humans here. For all men, for all humans. Um, okay, and let me add this. Having, and this is part of the naughty thing that I'm trying to make simple here, but we'll come back to it. Uh, having the law makes it worse. Having the law makes it worse. And I think that's part of what Paul's saying in verse 13. And you're nodding your heads, I think, maybe in part because those of you, you've been here in the past, and Paul's talked a lot about that in, in chapters 2 and 3. Paul's talked a lot to his own people, the Jews, about saying, hey, it's not enough to have the law. If you just have the law and you don't keep it, you're even more accountable to God because you even more know sin is even more clearly defined for you. And, and if you're honest with yourself, you have to understand you're a serious lawbreaker. So you know even more how much you're sinning if you have the law, right? And we're going to get to that. So to re- recap, point one, the career of the first Adam, sin came from Adam. Paul's very clear about that and spread to all of us and sin leads to death for all humans. And then having the law makes it worse, um, which is what I think part of what he's saying in verse 13. We'll get back. We'll come back to that. Um, And then there's a transition in 14b at the end of 14, where he says, Adam is a type of the one who is to come, Jesus. He's a type of, he's a type of Jesus. And he gets back to that in verse 18, which we'll get to. Okay. So, so the career of the first Adam, point one, verses 12 to 14. Point two, the career of the second Adam. Now he moves to Jesus. How Adam and Jesus, Jesus is the second Adam, the second human, are different. Okay. The career of the, so this is how Adam and Jesus are different. Um, verses 15 through 17. And almost all scholars that I read consider this kind of a parenthesis. It's like Paul kind of loses, he doesn't lose track of himself, but in, um, in this section, he breaks off and, and addresses something he thinks is important, then he loops back to it. He loops back to his thought from verse 13 in, in verse 18. So this second thing, verses 15 through 17, and I think also verse 18 through 19, it's really saying the same thing, is the career of the second Adam, how Adam and Jesus are different. The first Adam, the first man, Adam, again, Hebrew, Hebrew for Adam, the Hebrew Adam is just human. So the first Adam or the first human, the first man brought death to us all through his transgression. Notice I use the word transgression and we're going to come back to that. His law breaking wasn't just sin. Okay. It was transgression. It was law breaking. God gave him a law. And by the way, what was that law? What was the law that God gave to the first man, to Adam? He did say that. Adam didn't break that necessarily egregiously or at least, at least, at least clearly, but this one, he, say it again, Gene. He told Adam not to eat, he told 
Mm, no, he told Adam. And that's part of the really, we don't have time right now, it's not our purview, to go back to Genesis 3 where Eve gets, when she gets into dialogue with the serpent, first mistake, second mistake, Adam didn't step in between them, third mistake, she gets, she gets the law that Adam must have, must have been responsible to convey to her because he's the only one in existence when God gives the law. He gives it to Adam. Adam's the head. Adam's the protector. Adam's the head of the family. He's the one responsible to cover his wife in and protect his wife with the law of God, which is life itself and leads to life. And something broke down there. Maybe Adam didn't convey it right. Maybe Eve didn't remember it right. Whatever. Maybe she was influenced by the serpent, just certainly deceived by him. But she gets it wrong in at least two places. Okay? She minimizes the freedom of the law that God gives, and she adds to, she makes it more constricting. She does at least those two things. Now, we're not going to get into that now, but um, that's right. The law that he breaks is, God says, you can basically have, you can just have your way with anything I've made. Just enjoy it all. Just, there's just one tree. Just, and we're not, and we're not going to get into, there's so much there about why did, was he playing with him? Was he messing with him? Why did he do that? The short answer, I think, is that it's not a perfect world if there's not something for us to obey God in and to trust him in, because what that is, is that establishes relationship. You see? That establishes relationship. And there's much more there, but we're not, that's not our purview. But that is, the, that is the sin of Adam, that even though it was Eve who dialogued with the serpent and she took it and ate it, she gave it to him. He didn't step in. He also ate, following his wife instead of the Lord. And he broke God's law that he, clear, that he well knew. And Paul later says the woman was deceived. Paul, Adam was not deceived. He did it in full with eyes wide open. So this is the transgression that Paul's talking about here. So the first man, Adam, brought death to us all through his transgression. Now, now this second section is really majoring on the second Adam. The second man, second Adam, Jesus, brings righteousness and life to all who trust in him. And he does it in a more powerful way than the first man did. This is part of the amazing thing. Because it overrides the work of the first man. The next section... Starting with, this is a bit of a digression, but the next section, starting with verse 15, leads to a surprise. All humans die for one reason. And what is that reason? That's true, and who are they in? That's that's, that's the good first half of the answer. They're not in Jesus. Who are they in? They're not in the second Adam. We're all born. We're all born in sin, and we're all born... We're all born in sin, which leads to death. And we, we know that because we all die. And we are in our physical birth, we're all born into the first Adam. It's not just that we act like him and sin like him. It's that we are actually in him. This is, what, this is the amazing thing Paul's saying here. And we're going to get much more into this. We're represented by, in our birth, the first Adam. He is our representative head. And in his rebellion and in his death, we, we are represented um, and so, and it's, this is, this is the, the text par excellence where Paul talks about this. So we're going to dig in. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly not equal to the task. So um, disclaimers all the, way, all the way around, but we're going to get into it. Um, okay, so all humans die for one reason, the trespass of Adam. Um, okay. Their own, now, I, I, I wrote this and I'm not sure that I, again, I have not... <laughs> Reread it, so I'm not sure that I. This is on recording. I'm not sure. I'd rather be, rather be reading my study Bible notes with Tim Keller here, but I'm going to read in parentheses what I put here. Their own sins 
and we'll go back to the word, their own sins, whether trespasses, law-breaking or not, are not the primary reason for God's judgment. Adam's is. It's one of the things Paul's saying. We're going to get, we'll read 15 through 18 again, okay? Where Paul says this, this sort of thing in perfect words over and over again. Adam's is, because Adam represents them as their federal head since they came from Adam and were born in Adam, were born from Adam, okay? Um, now, let me say, let me, let me quote, I'm much more comfortable with Keller. Let me, let me quote Keller, okay? Let me quote Keller. He says, Paul is not saying that humans all die because we are like Adam. We sin like him, which we do. But because we, we were all, because we are all in Adam. Okay, when he sinned, so here, here's the thing, he puts this in parentheses. When Adam sinned, this is the language Paul uses, it's mind-blowing, it's humbling, it's hard, but it connects to our salvation. Don't forget, that's where Paul's going. He's driving us toward the second Adam, Jesus. Um, and you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have one and not the other. Okay, when, here's what he says. When he sinned, when Adam sinned, there's a sense in which so did we. Because Adam is our federal head. He's our representative, okay? Federal comes from a Latin word, which means covenant. Adam was our covenant head. Just in, in, a, in, a, in an analogous way, Christ is our covenant head. And so we are, we are um, represented by every human on planet Earth from the first from the first human all the way until Christ's return, is, is represented by one of these two atoms. That's the main, that's one of the main takeaways that you have to understand. Now, do you have to believe it? I hope you will. I hope you'll be convinced by it by the end. But this is one of the things that I'm trying to unpack that Paul's saying here. So this is hard to accept, this representation by Adam. I can see it on y'all's faces and your body posturing. It, that, it's, that's normal. But as I say below, if we do not accept, and I'll say this again, if we do not accept Adam's representation, if we do not accept Adam's representation, we cannot, we cannot accept Christ's. Paul ties them together. Paul ties them together. We are born into both. Get this, get this. We are born into both. We are born into both, but only into the second by faith. Okay, let me put it this way. The first birth is physical. And how many, and how many, how many does that represent? How many people on planet Earth? Everyone, initially at least, right? Initially, everyone that's born, everyone, all of us are born physically. Therefore, we're all born with Adam as our covenant head. And that's why we die. Not even primarily, this is the mind-blowing and humbling thing, Paul, that, and a lot of commentators push against this, and not everybody agrees. Okay, but this is, this is what I believe is true, and I, it's the standard, um, anyway, it's a, it, it's, it's a standard reformed understanding of this text, and that's not why I'm adopting it, but... Um, it's not even primarily that we die because of the sin we commit, although that is also true. But primarily, and most more fundamentally, what Paul is saying is because Adam sinned and in him we are represented. And in him there's a sense in which we sin because if you think about it, you were in Adam. Now, okay, now, now try to stay away for right now from is that fair? Okay, is that fair? Now, as soon as you go there, Ask yourself this question. Don't forget, Paul's not making this argument in isolation. He's tying it to something he's driving toward, which is representation of the second Adam. Is that fair? See? So, 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 okay, we'll, so we'll, we'll get there in a bit. That's, so um, we're not going to get into fairness yet, maybe in the Q&A and maybe before that. Okay, so let's keep thinking about what, what is Paul's. In exegesis, your goal is what is the argument of the author, not what do I think yet. What do I think comes after you? rightly say, what is the author saying? Whether biblical or not, right? What is the author saying? Let's not inject my own opinion yet. Let's, let's actually say, what, what, is, what is being written here? Let's try to get inside Paul's world here. Um, 
in his argument. So the first, the first birth is physical. We, so when you're physically born, you are represented by the first Adam. All of us are. All of us, all of us are. The second, so the first birth is physical. The second birth is by faith. And that's available for anyone. And, and it's, and it's, um, and it is uh, able to be availed of by those who know about, know the message of the gospel and know about the second Adam, Jesus Christ, right? And um, uh, so the second is by faith, faith placed in the second Adam, Jesus Christ. So um, just to recap point two, the career of the second Adam, how Adam and Jesus are different. The first man, Adam brought, the first Adam brought death to us all through his transgression. The second Jesus brings righteousness and life to all who trust in him. Okay. Um, we are born into both, but only into the second by faith. The first birth is physical. The second is by faith. Okay. Thirdly, and then we'll dig into verse 13 and some other things. Um, and then Q&A. Thirdly, this the third move Paul makes in 18 through 21. The career of the second Adam. Again, we're on Jesus now. So the, the second point was how Adam and Jesus are different. And what Keller says is really, the third is also about the second Adam, Jesus, but it's how Adam and Jesus are the same. Verses 18 through 21, Adam's one, this is my attempt at, dist- at distilling, Adam's one trespass led to sin and death for all born from him. That's everyone. Yeah. We are born, we're not just people who sin, we are born in sin. In sin did my mother conceive me. Our disposition is opposed to God because we are born from the first Adam. We were all, I think I didn't finish this thought, all of us were packed into Adam. All of us were packed into Noah. We just were. Um, Which is one of the zillions of reasons racism is dumb. That doesn't have anything to do with my argument, but I'm just saying it's dumb. It's illogical because we all come from one human. So you're, you're literally hating on your brothers and sisters. Stupid. There are a zillion other reasons and even more powerful reasons that racism is dumb, like the fact that we're all made by God in his image and that Jesus died for us, for the whole world. Okay. So, okay, but that's my racism rant for now. Okay, my anti-racism rant. <laughs> Get in trouble here. All right, um, verses 18 through 21. So this is about the second Adam still, but how Adam and Jesus are the same. Verse 18, Adam's one trespass led to sin and death for all born from him. So the second Adam's one act of righteousness, I'm quoting Paul here, the second Adam, Jesus, his one act of righteousness. What is that, by the way? When Paul, when G, where is that? Where is that at? What verse is that in? Is that in verse 18? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness did what? And what is that? What, do you th- what is Paul talking about there? What's the Dying one act? Say again? Dying for us. The cross. It has to be. It has to be. How, how decisive is that? How pointed is that? He's bringing... Everything from Adam into sharp focus at one point in space and time on that cross. Hey, hey brother. Oh, you made it. Well done. Congrats, by the way. It's a little late. Yeah. <laughs> well, you came from D.C. We're in Romans 5. Now in verse 18. Okay. Um, I'll say it again for um, Jordan's sake. Adam's one trespass led to sin and death for all born from him. So the second Adam's one act of righteousness on that cross Okay, leads to righteousness and life for all born from him. And that's by faith. The first birth is from the first Adam is physical. It's for everyone. The second is also for everyone, but only those who have faith, who trust in Jesus, avail themselves of 
of that righteousness, of that life, of that salvation. The law came, lastly in my distillation, the law came to magnify our law breaking. We'll get into this big time because this is a big part of verse 13. I'll transition to that right now. The law came to magnify our law breaking. Where does Paul, what was that verse I stopped on? Um, where does Paul basically say something like that? Oh yeah, verse 19, verse 20. Now the law came into what? Increase the trespass. What? That sounds crazy. No, okay, well, you've been well trained, taught. I don't know. Because <laughs> you're right. Paul makes this argument. He's coming back to it. Makes sense. You know, it does. But I'm glad to hear you say that. But if you try to step outside what you know, which I'm so glad you do know that, a lot, you could think, okay, God gave the law. He did give the law for other reasons. But God gave the law for ordering a society. God gave the law because he's good and the law is good, which is all true. And for us to obey it so that we can live. And the law means blessing, and this is what the Jews believed. And, of course, there's a lot of truth to that because we know that lawless societies, that's no bueno, right? And this law is God's perfect law. And yet Paul says the primary, I'm importing this, but this is the meaning, the primary reason for God's law given to his people is that it came in to increase the trespass. And then he doesn't finish there, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So it's to actually to push, it's to help them. The law is to help them see their lawlessness and their need for a law keeper and their need for someone who will bear their law breaking in their place and bring them back to God. Right now, now that that's not what that's what I just said is that's what Paul said in the past. It's imported. I, I'm, I'm injecting that into this, this last few verses here. But that's what he's saying. The law came to magnify our law breaking and to push us to Jesus, the one who kept the law for us and died to give us life. Okay, so those are the three distillations. Let me just say them very briefly over again, extremely in 20 seconds, and then we'll move into verse 13. I don't want to skip over that. It's, it's naughty. Naughty like not N-A-U-G-H-T-Y, but K-N-O-T-T-Y. I just realized that you could be hearing naughty like bad. You're bad. Um, okay, number one. Gnarly. Gnarly. Good. Thank you. Gnarly. Number one, in verses 12 through 14, the career of the first Adam, right? Sin came from him and from his transgression in particular. Uh, and, and because of sin, death and death to all humanity. And having the law makes it worse. Paul kind of mentions that in verse 13. We're going to come back to that on mass right now. Secondly, the career of the second Adam, Jesus. How Adam and Jesus are different. Verses 15 through 17. Whereas Adam brings sin and death, as we're born from him, when we're born from the second Adam, Jesus, by faith, he brings righteousness and life. And it's even greater, even more, even greater and even more pervasive and will do away with ultimately all the evil that the first Adam brought to the human race and to creation. And then thirdly, the career of the second Adam again, Jesus, how Adam and Jesus are the same. Okay, and, um, and then it, it's in verse 14, right, where, where, where Paul says uh, that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. So let's dig into 13 now. Let me just go ahead and read verses 12 and 13 again for us as we dig into 13. And then um, I'll say a few things to close us, and then we can have some Q&A time. I have a lot on 13. All right, and we don't necessarily have to go through it all, but because I do want to leave time. Okay. And, and again, during, especially as we dig into 13, I wanted to give you this distillation. You guys have been very, you've, you've commented some, you've raised hands. Thank you for your, you've been very nice to let me give my distillation. But now we're getting into some, some gnarly stuff in verse 13 and elsewhere. So you do, we don't have to save the questions till the end. We can interact. Okay, for, verse 13, let me read 12 and 13. Therefore, Paul says, 
Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Okay, and what, is he, what time period is he talking about there? He actually mentions it in the next verse, but what time period is it he, he, before the law was given? The sin is in the world. Before Moses, right? Is that what you say? Yeah. yeah. Be- between Adam and Moses. And he says that in the next verse, right? So the time between Adam and Moses, the law was given at Sinai to Moses, to the people, and to the world through Moses and the Jews. Um, and the law is good because God's good, God is good, and it's a, it's, an, it's a reflection of who he is, right? So don't, 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 don't murder, don't lie, don't, don't gossip, don't, don't envy, love your neighbors yourself, love, love the Lord more than anything. These are all things that God loves. Okay, so, um, so verse 13 is difficult because for sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but the difficult part is the second part. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Okay, that's true. So but here's there's still consequences. but there's still consequences, and is it because de- and death reigned? That's right. From Adam, and God destroyed the ancient world. That's proof. That so I think that is the key argument. Lawyer guy is getting ahead of us here, <laughs> stealing my punchline. Just kidding. No, it's good. I think that the main argument, of course, here's a here's a reading tip, and I'm not trying to. I'm just saying we all we know this, but it's going to be reminded, and it's certainly a, a reading tip when you're reading the Bible. Let certainly the Bible, one of the main interpretive or hermeneutical principles is um, scripture interprets scripture. And, and when you're in a text, a lot of times what Paul will do is he'll go on. What has he said elsewhere in the book of Romans? What has he said, else, what has he said elsewhere in his letters? What does the Bible say elsewhere? Because it's all from one author, God, through many authors, through many human authors. But then also Paul will often go on to explain what he means. And he does that in a lot of ways here, especially in verses 15 through 17, which we'll go back to. But um, I think death, the fact that death reigned, the next verse says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. Mm-hmm. So he's saying sin didn't count because there wasn't a law. Next thing he says is, but death reigned. Yeah. So we can't say that there were no consequences for sin. Yeah. I mean, death is the consequence. Death is the final enemy. Death is what Christ defeated through his death. So we can't say sin wasn't bad at this point because there was no law. But still, we have to take the word seriously. It didn't count. What does that mean? Yes. Yeah. I have a question. Yes, please. So the word that's used Counseled. counted in verse 13, is that the same word or is it a different word than uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted? It does mean Christ. reckoned. It does mean, and obviously this is and Greek and that difference? was Hebrew, but... So does it mean impute? So... And it, I mean, because that's also another way we use the word... To, so I'm, I'm curious I, what the distinction is. Okay, so... I don't, mm, okay, this is a good question, and you were, you were not here for, first of all, I don't have my Greek text with me, which is not good. I actually I do on my computer. I can look into it maybe in a second, but no, it's a good question. It does, okay, it does mean reckon. Look up the Greek word for us. Um, I did say, as by way of disclaimer, I did not get to dig into this lesson nearly as much as I wanted to, and if I had ever wanted to dig into a lesson, it was this one, because this is a very, I think it's a profound, certainly, and a difficult, it's a difficult passage, and so I just got today, and today was not enough, and today was shortened, so that's a disclaimer, so I don't, I, I can't, Jordan, say with positive, what, did you find the word, Andrew? Uh, I found it in verse 13, I'm seeing yeah. if it's the same one as Abraham believing in God. In the Septuagint, you mean? No, in the Greek text of Romans. Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. When he quotes it in four. What's the word, by the way? 
it's a form of logizomai. Oh, yes. I knew that. I read that today. <laughs> Good. Logizomai. Yep. Reckoned. Um, okay. Yeah, look it up for us in, in, Gen- in Romans 4, if you would. Um, okay, so I'm going to keep moving. Great question. Let's come back to that, especially as Andrew brings it up. But no, no. That's great. Um, verse 13 is difficult. Let me quote James Dunn. Uh, he writes a Romans commentary in, in the, uh, the word biblical commentary. The point Paul is making, so I, 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 looked, I looked to a few people for help. The point, so I'm going to read some of that. The point Paul is making, bless you, is that is therefore that all humankind is under the power of sin as evidenced by their sinful acts. That is acts done in disregard for God and his glorious creator. And he talks about that in Romans 1, 20 through 22, right? Even to those that have, don't have the law, they have the conscience, they have the creator, they have the creation, but not all sinful acts are held by God as transgression. Remember how I said I'd come back to that word that Paul uses? They're not all held as transgression, which is what? What is transgression? Breaking the law. It's, it's law breaking. Okay? You can't, you can't transgress if you don't have a law to break, like Jean Jane, like Jane said earlier. Only those committed in deliberate breach of, divine, of a divine command. Right? And that sin of Adam is the sin of, it's a transgression. It's a law breaking. It's a breaking of a law that got, Andrew, Andrew yeah. tell us. Um, I'll come back Same to Same word for Abraham okay. uh, yes. being credited as righteousness. Good. Look, it's mine. Okay. Yes. C.J. Lewis? Uh, C.S. Lewis? C.S. Five Staples? In Mere Christianity, he's talking about, he talks about, and it's also in the book he's doing on the daily readings from all of his books, he's talking about a very similar thing about how we are born with and, and or develop certain morales through our interactions with other people, through mm-hmm. living, which are not, quote, laws per se, but they are kind of the unspoken, these are things you don't do. Right. So I think in, in that Like mores, respect, you mean, yeah, so, or do you mean natural law? Do you know which? I think he's speaking, I think he was speaking of natural law. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, and he and he and he does a sort of catalog a catalog of those in at the end of the yeah. abolition of man in well, in an appendix. And this is yeah. what and this and this is kind of what I feel a little bit is coming into this as well, where it, when they're talking about um, yeah, death reigned, even though it did not count because there was no law, there was still this sort of unspoken or given natural yes. law of. And there's such a thing that theologians call general revelation. Paul's talked about this in Romans 1, certainly, especially, and then some in Romans 2. But God, through creation, through what's been created, and through our consciences, the two C's, right? Uh We know, like in C.S. Lewis has shown, and many other people have in more sophisticated ways too, but just there are are things that all humanity agrees on. Like like cowardice is bad. Mm -hmm. um, um, Napalming babies is bad. Um, uh, sleeping with another man's wife is bad. Okay, so these, there are these things that even without God's written law to the Jewish people, there are things that all humanity, there's an innate, because God made us in his image and because creation bears witness to his, even, even if you deny it, it bears witness to certain attributes of God, his power, his beauty, his... Um, Maybe the happy thing is even though we are all sinners at birth, there still was a time before he, t- part- he broke the, the law, one law, Adam was a pure person, so there had to be. He was sinless. He was created sinless. sinless. That's right. He was created sinless. That's right. So a little that uh, there is that 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 flows through us as well, as well as the yes, we're going to sin. Well, well, the the Bible's so the Bible's clergy that um, that we are we are 
still, every person that's born is still born as an image bearer of the living God. Yeah. But that image has been completely, it's been totally tainted by and, and broken and shattered by sin. So that there's no, so total depravity is, is one of the doctrines that, that, that conveys that. And the idea is that not that we're as bad as we could be. None of us is as bad as we could be. But that every part of us, every part of us is fallen and tainted by sin. Every, even our minds, and Paul talks about that in Romans 1, and in particular. So let me, let me move, on. do you have a, okay, let me move on, let me quote Dunn again, and then we've got a few things to get through, and then, and then uh, I, I definitely want to open it up, and again, it, it's open now. Dunn again, also helpful. So that the more accurate summary should speak of guilt as proportional to knowledge of God, however that knowledge is given. Um, not as proportional to knowledge of the law as such, he says. But what also needs to be remembered, Dunn says, is that Paul continually, ref- this is really important, okay? Remember the overall argument. He's, he's often driving toward, hey, Jews, uh, it's not enough to just have the law. Actually, the law, what does he say here in this, in this chapter? The law actually came in to increase the trespass, mm-hmm. right? So, so, okay, Dunn says, what we also need to, need to remember is that Paul continually refers to the law because of his concern to demonstrate Israel's false understanding of its position before God. He emphasizes that the law brings knowledge of sin, uh, Romans 3.20. The law brings knowledge of sin, that the law turns sin into transgression, Romans 4.15. That sin is only accounted in terms of the law, 5.13. Not because he, that's the verse, that's the tricky verse that we just looked at. Not because he wants to deny, okay, get this, not because he wants to deny the existence of transgression or guilt apart from the law, but because he wants Israel to recognize that its possession of the law actually increases its need of redemption and increases its sin. That's exactly right. Okay, um, let me read, if I may, let me read a bit more um, from another commentary. Okay, the topic of verse 12 is sin and death. And in it, Paul describes three downward steps or deteriorating stages in human history. From one man sinning to all men dying. Okay, so just, just enter into this as I read this block quote, okay? First, sin entered the world through one man. This is kind of walking us through what, Paul's, what Paul says again. Sin entered the world through one man, Adam. Secondly, death then entered the world through sin. Thirdly, in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Here then are the three stages from Adam's sin to Adam's death to universal death due to universal sin. Okay, but what, and this is something we haven't gotten into yet. This is really sticky in all the commentators. I mean, they, they write pages and pages and pages. What is the meaning of the third statement that death came to all men because all sinned? In what sense have all sinned so that all die? And here, here he says, there can be only one explanation. All died because all sinned in and through Adam the representative or federal head of the human race. So he's not just saying that death comes to us because we sin as individuals. It's because, it's because we in Adam, we are represented by our federal head Adam in our birth, and we in Adam have sinned because he sinned through his transgression. Again, well, I'm going to keep going. I know it's hard to, it's, it's a hard word, but it's a humbling word. But what he's doing is he's connecting our headship in Adam to a better headship that brings life in Christ. And I want to continue to insist you can't have one without the other. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. Okay? It's humbling. It's, it's humbling to the intellect. It's, it's humbling. Let's continue to submit ourselves to the word. See what Paul's saying. And then uh, and as I read some of this, and then we'll, we'll open it up. Um, so... 
Uh, the second argument for this interpretation is the wider context, okay? Especially verses 15 through 19. So this is why, where I said we, we get into these verses. Here it is. Five times in these five verses in 15 through 19. Once in every verse. So this is where I'm saying, okay, we're questioning verse 13 and 14. What is he saying here exactly? What is he saying? Well, he, he goes on to, it's the, what follows is called epexegetical. It means it unpacks what he's just said before, okay? The second argument for this interpretation is the wider context, especially in 15 through 19. Five times in these five verses, once in every verse. Paul states that the trespass or disobedience of one man brought death, judgment, or condemnation to all men. The language varies slightly from verse to verse, but the meaning is the same. Verse 15 clinches the matter. The many died by the trespass of the one man. Okay? In other words, not primarily, notice how we're using the word primarily or foundationally, because of their own sin. Okay? But their own sin is because of the sin and rebellion and transgression of that one man. And that's why, that's why we die, because Adam is our head when we're born. And th- therefore, and therefore, listen, and therefore we must be born again. We must be born again. We must be represented by a second head. And the way, and Paul has made it clear, the only way to be born again is not through birth. It's not through, excuse me, physicality. It's through, it's through faith in the very physical and resurrected the Son of the living God, who became incarnate, enfleshed for us. Okay. The third argument relates to the... Oh, sorry. Um, that is, universal death is attributed to a single solitary sin. Let me continue. The third argument relates to... So the second argument is, it's textual. It's, hey, look at the context, 15 through 19. He says, he says what he means in 13 and 14 over and over again. The third argument relates to the analogy between Adam and Christ. So remember how I said Adam and Christ different, Adam and Christ the same. Uh, Adam was a type of Christ, a type of the second man to come. There's a sense in which there have only been two men in history. Mm-hmm. The first man, Adam, and Jordan wasn't here when we said this, he probably knows this, but Adam in Hebrew means human. There have been two humans in history, two heads, the first and the second. You're either represented in the first and dead in your sins and trespasses, or you're represented in the second human. That's why the resurrection was such a big deal, because Jesus wasn't just a man rising from the dead. He was a new type of humanity, free from the power of sin and death. And when you trust in Jesus, you are united to that freedom and power forever. Yes? So, so basically you're saying sin is, is reckoned to us through, and imputed to us through one sin yes. Adam committed. Yes. But through our federal head, through our covenant head. Right. Just as yes. Christ, yes. grace, yes. and righteousness are imputed to us, reckoned us through his, through his death on the cross for me. That's right. Us. He took our sin and bore it, including the wrath of God we for our sin. Through being imputed or reckoned. Through having a headship. We're either, we're either represented by the first Adam, and all of us are, all of us are every human, until... We're represented by the second Adam through faith, Jesus Christ. That's right. We're going to, okay, so great. That was very good. I wish, I hope that picked up. Um, I'm not going to restate it. Um, The third argument relates to the analogy between Adam and Christ and between those who are in Adam and those who are in Christ. Charles Hodge, a theologian, Princeton theologian, was right to say that Paul, I'm quoting now, Paul has been engaged from the beginning of the epistle in inculcating one main idea, namely, that the ground of the sinner's acceptance with God is not in... Listen to this, guys. That the ground, he's saying from the beginning of Romans, he's basically been focused on one idea. The ground of the sinner's acceptance with God is not in himself. It's not in the sinner, but the merit of Christ. 
Remember, an alien or outside righteousness that's grabbed hold of through the open hand of faith. It's received. That's why it's so humbling and that's why it's so counter to the flesh. No, I've got to do something to earn it. I have to do something to earn it. No, he's done it for you. Receive it. It's a gift. It's a gift. It's It's free gift, free gift, free gift. Okay. It's devastating to the flesh and that's part of the point. And the court, let me go, let me go on. And the correspondence between Christ and Adam must preserve, not destroy this truth. It should read, therefore, here it is. It should read, therefore, as we are condemned on account of what Adam did, so we are justified on account of what Christ did. Wow. Wow. So receiving that, our representation in Adam, our representation in Adam is very humbling, but so humbling in another and a better direction is it to receive our representation by faith in Jesus Christ. The one is received whether or not we like it. The second by faith. Um, these three arguments from the text, the context, and the analogy seem decisively to support the view that all sinned in and through Adam. Dr. Martin, David Martin Lloyd-Jones summed up the rationale in these words. God has always dealt with mankind through a head and representative. The whole story of the human race can be summed up in terms of what has happened because of Adam and what has happened and will yet happen because of Christ. But, and that's the end of the quote there, but can we accept this teaching? It may be exegetically correct, but is it theologically and personally meaningful? Paul evidently believed it, can we? I'm quoting here from a commentator. The concept of having, excuse me, the concept of our having sinned in Adam is certainly foreign. Let's admit that. It's certainly foreign to the mindset of Western individualism. Now I'm getting into a little bit more of we're stepping back and I want to try to massage this into our individualistic Western minds and hearts a little bit. But we are to subordinate scripture to our own cultural, excuse me, but are we to subordinate scripture to our own cultural perspective? No, 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 we're not. Africans and Asians, and this is a bit dated, but still, I mean, Africans and Asians who take for granted the collective solidarity, of, and we could include other continents even, uh, who take for granted the collective solidarity of the extended family, tribe, nation, and race do not have the difficulty which Western people experience. And, and part of why I said this dated a bit is because it's an older commentary. Now, the world is at our doorstep, right? I mean, I mean America is full of it's a sense in which you can say, yeah, we're in the West, but I mean, it's, it's, it's all the nations are here, even in this, in this little Galleria area. So, but, but that remains true that the Western, typically the post-enlightenment white Western mindset is very individualistic. Certainly the American, you know, very individualistic. There's a much more collective um, uh, perspective where solidarity extended to family, tribe, and nation, your race is, is much more, is much more important. Okay, so let me continue. More important even than African and Asian models, however, is that scripture itself contains a number of significant variations on the theme of human solidarity. Let me give three. Abraham offering tithe to Melchizedek, and, and the author of Hebrews talks about this, and it's, it's in Genesis 14, I believe. Um, off, Abraham offers a tithe, he offers a tithe to Melchizedek, who's not of the tribe of uh, Levi, okay, because Levi doesn't exist yet. And, and, and the author of Hebrews is saying there's a better tribe. Jesus wasn't of the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe. There's a better tribe, and there's a better high priest, and that's Jesus. And just as Melchizedek wasn't from the tribe of Levi, and, he was, and Abraham offered tribute to him. You offer, someone, you offer tribute and tithe to someone who's greater than you. Melchizedek, in, in that sense, was greater than Abraham in the same way. Jesus, who's not from the tribe of Levi, um, is, is greater than is greater than the priestly tribe of Levi. And what, he's, and what the author of Hebrews says is, he, Abraham offers tithe to Melchizedek, and he says, and it was as if Levi, who came from Abraham later, generations later, it was as if Levi 
from whom the priestly tribe came, priestly tribe of Levi, if the priest came from, from Levi, it was as if Levi, who was still in Abraham's loins, not yet to be born, not to be born for hundreds of years, was offering tribute through Abraham as Abraham offered to Melchizedek. That's what the author of Hebrews says. It was as if that was happening because, because Levi was literally in Abraham's loins, not yet born, right? And so he's making this argument, and he's, there's a sense in which Levi, the tribe of Levi, is represented by Abraham. And yet Abraham is offering to a greater, someone greater than him, Melchizedek. And that's a picture, it's a type of Jesus, of the greater high priest, not from the tribe of Levi, but from the tribe of Judah, Jesus. So that's the argument he uses. So that's one example. I know it's a bit abstruse. Achan, the sin of Achan and Joshua. And when Achan takes a gold bar and a few other things from, for himself, and it's, and it's been prohibited by God, don't take anything from those that I'm putting the ban on, what happens? They start losing. They start losing, and then ultimately what happens? What do they do to Achan? They kill him. They kill him. And God says, uh, there's language there that says that um, Israel is implicated in Achan's sin because Achan is an Israelite. And it's as if, it's, it's as if all of Israel, I mean, all of Israel is called to account and they start losing en masse. They start losing as an entire nation because of the sin of one man, because there is solidarity there. And the cross is the third example he gives. Not only did Herod and Pilate, I'm quoting, Gentiles and Jews conspire against Jesus, but the sins which led to his death are our sins too. Moreover, if we turn away from God, we are crucifying the Son of God all over again. Were you there? The Negro spiritual asks, I'm quoting, when they crucified my Lord. The only possible answer is that we were there. And not merely as spectators. So some people say the Jews crucified Jesus. Some people say the Romans crucified Jesus. And, and, and really the answer is we all did. Because whose sin was he paying for? Whose sin did he become on that cross? Yeah. Mine. Yours. That's right. All, 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 the sin of all who would look to him. And all are welcomed to look to him. Okay? So the only possible answer is that we were there. Not merely as spectators, but as guilty participants. Which is one of the reasons that Mel Gibson... Mel, Mel Gibson... Mel Gibson... Uh, apparently, it's his hand that uh, in the Passion of the Christ that he takes the the spike, and he drives it through um, Jim Caviezel's, I mean, obviously not driving it through his wrist, but in the, it seems like he is, as Jesus is being nailed up on the cross. And apparent, you don't see, you just see the hand, in the, and apparently Mel Gibson, the, the director, insisted on being the one. And that's, he's, what he's doing is he's, he's acting out the meaning of what we just talked about, that he, he you, and, you and I, we are the ones who crucified Christ, right? Um, he conc- this this, uh, this uh, commentator concludes with a four-line stanza from, Horatius Bonar, who was the, the, the guy who planted the church that Robin and I, um, he was the first pastor of the church that we attended in Edinburgh. Um, Twas I that shed, he was also a hymn writer. Twas I that shed the sacred blood. I nailed him to the tree. I crucified the Christ of God. I joined the mockery. In short, if we do not accept Adam's headship, we cannot accept Christ, like I've been saying. The fact is we are represented before God by one Adam or the other. Again, there are no, ra- there, there aren't, a profusion of races on a fundamental level. The, the biblical picture isn't that we're divided by how much money we have, our social status, our, um, how many sins we've committed, uh, our, our, the color of our skin, our ethnicity, our cultural background. We are either in the first Adam or in the second Adam. Those, those are the two races in the scriptures. Um, and, there's a, and there's solidarity there. 
And what our job is, as, and our privilege is, as those who are in the second Adam by faith in Jesus Christ, is to beckon, to beckon the worst of sinners and every person that we can to come into Christ by faith, the second Adam, to be represented by him. Because um, no one deserves it, but all are offered it. So some of us are now represented by, so we're all represented by the first Adam, we're born into it. Some of us are now represented by the second, we're born into both representations, all into the first and some a second time into the second. Only they who are born again, born a second time, are in Christ, reckoned righteous, reckoned, look at Zemai, and saved from sin and its consequences, death and hell. Um, I have some more comments here, like a page more of comments. Um, I may race through them, but before I do, um, pause, breathe. <sighs> okay. Hard text. I mean, not just hard, like there's some gnarly, naughty um, textual things, not textual things, but just the meaning of some of what Paul says is a bit difficult in some places, but also it's difficult for the will, I think, a bit to receive this truth from Paul. Uh, it's humbling. Um, it doesn't seem fair. I say seem. It doesn't seem fair. But again, then again, if I can say this, and I will, what is certainly not fair is representation in the second Adam. My being represented before God Almighty, you're being represented before God Almighty by the second Adam. His taking your sin and paying for it on that cross, his taking, his enduring the wrath of God in full, drinking the wrath of God down to the dregs. You know, I think maybe I've said this in this class, but the Turkish Lebanese coffee that's so delicious and that's, if you're not getting a hit anymore from regular American coffee, just go ahead and treat yourself to a Turkish coffee and it's going to hit you. It's so strong. It's got that sediment at the bottom. Drinking, you're not supposed to drink that, you know, but like drinking all that. That's what drinking it down to the dregs. Every single sin and all the consequences for that sin that any of us have or ever will commit who are in Christ for all time, Jesus paid for fully. He paid for fully because, because God is just. Um, and so it's not fair that he gives me, he imputes to me, he pushes his righteousness into my account and he took what he did for me on that cross. It's not fair. Um, but God is just and God is also fully and perfectly merciful. And so, uh, we're, we're seeing, we're seeing some of that here unpacked through the two atoms. Um, yeah. What makes us think as humans? that we can call out God on what is fair and what's not. It's the way he made it. It's the, it's the plan he put in place. He's God, and he can do whatever he wants. And if I want, I love that, and we're going to get to more of that in Romans 9, which is even more bear's breath than this passage. And Paul pulls that exact phrasing out, um, and you're right, and you see some of that in Job, you know, like, I shut my mouth, you're God, I'm in the wrong, do what you want. Um, Um, yes. Again, um, it, what you don't want to do, here's what I want to say. What, what you and I don't want to do is to insist on fair. That's what we don't. Can I just say it that way? What we don't want to do is to, please don't insist. If you insist on fair with God and you get fair, what you will get is fair. death and hell. 
The gospel isn't fair. The gospel is a gift that we don't deserve that is gladly and freely given through the work of Christ Jesus. The gospel's not fair. But fairness is fairness for all. So when he said he makes it to, to shine on everyone and to rain on everyone. It's for all. It's for all mankind. It's not just for one group of people. Not just for Jews or just for Gentiles. Yeah. You know, when somebody says that's not fair because something happens to them that they don't like, it is fair because... Well, and again, it's not what I deserve. Jesus took what we deserve, and he gives us what he deserved, right? So that's, that's what I mean by... So let me just read a couple of these things, and then we'll land and, and open it up. And maybe, you know, again, I haven't even... I pound this out, didn't even read it. So this is some of my working through verse 13 again, digging a bit deeper. My comment on verse 13, sin is not counted. I think it's back to what Jordan said earlier. Cannot mean sin is not counted when there is no law, right? And there's no, um, there, so let me read it again. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Sin is not counted, cannot mean it is not counted in any way against those who sin. We know this because sin brings death. That's, it's counted in that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We know this because, yeah, and they don't transgress. We know this because sin um, brings death to the, uh, to those who do not have the law. Death means sin counts in some way, right? It brings death. Sin brings death. This is a penalty that counts. So Paul goes on to say this clearly in the next verse, verse 14, right? So our question must be, in which way does sin not count toward those who have no law? The answer is, I think, so in which way does sin not count toward those who have no law? The answer is, and it can't be that it doesn't count at all. The answer is sin does not count as transgression of law to those who have no law. And you see this in Romans 2, verse 12, which if I can just briefly read it, Romans 2, verse 12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And it's converse for those who have the law is true as well. Um, There is penalty. There is a penalty for all who sin, death. And that's death with a capital D. But there is no penalty for law breaking for those who have no law because God is just and will not punish someone for breaking a law that they aren't aware of. One way the law brings death and more punishment is through more accountability. And here we're getting into what Paul says about, hey, the law increased the trespass, right? The law brings death and more punishment through more accountability. We are more accountable when we know more. The law helps us know sin more by clearly defining it, right? Uh, Here is sin um, right on the other side of this law, right? The transgress, you know. Um, the law says if you transgress, if you step over this law, if you break this law, that's where sin starts. Um, let's see, where was I? So this is the chief purpose of the law. Step beyond this, break it, and you will have transgressed. You will have sinned. Principle. Here's the principle, I think. Law brings sin into sharper relief than creation or conscience can. More briefly, law defines sin. Do not commit adultery. Here's some examples. The seed of adultery is lust. Okay, so now I know that what sin is, and I know that I've committed this sin. Okay, in the lust category. All right. Um, I'm a guilty sinner, namely a guilty adulterer, according to the law. Of course, I could take the command to love my neighbor as myself, or to not gossip, not to lie, not to envy, or any other command. Before I knew these, because of creation and conscience, I knew I was a sinner guilty before God, but now I know I'm a lawbreaker in all these ways as well. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to help me. 
I need a law keeper. I need someone who pays the penalty for that law breaking. As a, as a commentator says, Paul's point is to underscore what he has said in chapter 2. And we're moving toward, a, toward some Q&A and then we'll close right at 9. Um, in chapter 2, he said, 1, though all have sinned and therefore die as penalty, 2, not all will be penalized by God as lawbreakers, like I just read in Romans 2.12, but only those who have God's law, namely the Jews. Remember where he's driving? One of the big points he's making in these early chapters. Ergo, having the law and not keeping it perfectly does not help us, like I said at the beginning of this time. It does not help us. Just to have the law and not keep it doesn't help you. It actually makes things worse for you, right? It only hurts us. The primary purpose of the law should therefore be seen not as a restraint on sin, which it is. It is a restraint on sin. Or a beautiful thing to be kept because it leads to beauty and order in life, which it does. Rather, the primary purpose of the law, his Torah, God's Torah, is to show God's people their guilt before God. Verse 20. Verse 28, right? It, it came in to increase the trespass. It's to show God's people their guilt before God, let me finish, and thus to push his people toward the one who will keep the law for them and take the penalty of lawbreaking and all other sins upon himself to save them, not only for the Jews, but for all who look to him and not to themselves to be saved. That is what Jesus himself says in Luke 24 and Matthew 5, 17 and other places. He says, here's how to read the Bible. The whole thing is to push you to me. I'm the point. And I've come for sinners. If you don't recognize you're a sinner and a lawbreaker, Jesus has no place with you. See? So the primary purpose, not the only purpose of the law, is to increase our knowledge of the trespass, increase our guilt before God, to push us toward one who bears our guilt in our place and gives us his righteousness. That's the, that's the primary point of the entire revealed word of God. And then once we get that and enter into that new life offered in Jesus freely, then his law becomes not a burden, but a beauty. Life itself. Because no, there's no longer an, an, an antipathy between us and God's. We're no longer under judgment. Jesus has borne it for us. See? So, we can, so, so all of a sudden, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, all about the law and how awesome it is and how life-giving and how beautiful, starts to make a lot of sense. But if you're outside of Christ, it's, it, it doesn't. Um, one, one commentator, C.E. Cranfield, writes, The effect of the gift of the law to Israel was to make sin abound to turn men's wrongdoing into conscious and willful rebellion by confronting them with the clear manifestation of God's will. But at the very place where sin most fully, this is, this is great, but at the very place where sin most fully and outrageously abounded, where was that? Where, where's the worst thing that humans ever did to anyone? Where? Crucifying. Crucifying God. God came among us and how much did we hate him? How much did Jesus sh- bring out our evil and rebellion? We crucified him. We crucified pure goodness. Pure truth, pure life itself. We crucified. That's our sin. And he used that to open up a door through death into life for us. Wow. That is the heart of God. Not for us to sit under condemnation in Adam, but for that to push us toward the better representative and the better Adam, Jesus Christ, right? That's the point. That's the whole point. We are captive under the first Adam to be born. We're born in him to be born again into the second. That's the whole point. Jesus didn't, God didn't just leave us with the first Adam. It was never to be that way. He allowed all that to happen in his divine providence and, and perfect power to, 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 open up, to open up a glorious way for us to salvation through the work of another Jesus Christ, right? Um, so where gr- their grace abounded more exceedingly and triumphed gloriously through that outrageous, 
rejection of Jesus Christ by Israel. The relevance of the reference to the law, and, and by all of us, by the way, the relevance of the reference to the law at this point lies in the fact that it is the law which makes manifest the full magnitude of sin. And so also, at the same time, the full magnitude of the triumph of grace. And let me just, let me just close with this. This is just a random kind of a bit of yarn over here. Verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I just had to say and have to say, and then we can open it up. The much more there, those two words, and it's two words that are exactly mean exactly that in the Greek. Um, I do know those Greek words. <laughs> um, astound me. Those two words are two of the most astounding words in the Bible to me. Much more. Why do I say that? What is Paul saying here? The that is astounding. Sin, the more grace there is. Okay, but look back at, that's true, but look back at the, it can be true. Look back at the text. What is he, what's on the front side of much more, on the left side of much more? I mean, he has the nerve to say much more. Yeah. What are you going to say? Death. Death, death reigning. Death through Adam to all of creation, plunging us into misery and ruin. And, and Paul has the gall. He has the, he has the gall to say much more than death and sin and all of that leading to eternal separation from God and hell. Much more than creation being absolutely ruined, like ink and water, like yeast and bread, just completely permeated by this one man's disobedience. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. I mean, it is, we, what, what I'm trying to say is Paul has a picture of and, and we need to gain from this and understand that, man, we haven't even seen the inklings. We've only heard the barest whisper of the glory that is coming. We our first thing we're going to see in the new creation, first thing that's going to happen to us, first thing when we see Jesus' face, is our jaws are just going to drop. Because the scriptures tell us is horrible and evil, and, 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 and no one knows the horror and evil more that has come from Adam and ruined creation than Jesus who bore it. As horrible as that is, and it's horrible, um, it, it will have, what Jesus has done to, to, to restore creation and to open up a wide door to salvation through death itself will make everything worthwhile. And the scriptures are clear about that. Here, Ephesians 1, Revelation, other places. It's, it's abs- I mean, much more. Are you kidding me? That's this incredible. This reminds me of, uh, of uh, Isaiah chapter 40 when he says in the very beginning, this is comfort, comfort my people, says your God, speak tenderly to mm-hmm. Jerusalem and cry to her. Their warfare has ended. Their iniquity is pardoned. Here's a verse. Mm-hmm. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, as you're saying, like much more. Mm-hmm. That's an amazing passage. That's one of the most sublime chapters in the whole Bible. I, I've never, that's, I'd like to talk more about that passage. That's, that's, I've never quite understood that. Yeah, I, li- I like how you, hmm. Um, my grand, her, her dad, Charlie Hayden, used to quote, uh, like, verses 30 and 31 in that, in that chapter uh, from the K- King James Version uh, through, by memory. And he just, oh, I can still, what a wonderful, 
That's the turning point of the book of Isaiah, one of the most glorious, the fifth gospel, one of the most glorious books um, in the Bible. And uh, oh, what a wonderful comfort, comfort my people. Romans was his favorite. Tell her that her warfare has ended. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he sees us now. Um, he loved Jesus because he knew what a sinner he was. The man, boy, oh boy, did he have a past. <laughs> and he was glad to tell you about it. And it was egregious. It was egregious. And he would, he would often say, and I didn't plan on finishing this with Paul Paul, but that's fine. And we'll have some minutes for questions but, and answers and conversation. But um, he, uh, he would often say, especially in his latter years, he would say, people like to say sweet baby Jesus. Maybe this is appropriate even now, uh, especially now for this Advent season. They like to say sweet baby Jesus, meek and mild. Jesus wasn't mild. He was a warrior. He, this guy, he was a trial lawyer. This guy, he, he hit opposing counsel out and knocked him down to the ground in a courtroom. Great stories. They called him Tiger Hayden. Uh, he, he said, he was a warrior. He endured the wrath of God for my sin. He loved his favorite, one of his favorite words in the Bible, one of his favorite passages was that Romans three twenty five, where Christ as our propitiation, our wrath bearer, bore the white hot wrath, the just wrath of God for us in our place so that we, he could be our burn circle and in him we could hide and the fire of God's wrath could pass by and we could be safe. So my Paul loved, uh, he loved Romans and he loved Jesus because Jesus is greater than our sin. So um, Adam brings death to wrap. Christ brings life. All are born in Adam. We must be reborn in Christ. Each of us comes either from the first Adam or the second. If from the first, we will die forever. If from the second, we will live forever. There are only two heads. There are, only, there are two and only two heads of the whole human race. All of us are born from the first head, Adam. As a consequence, we die. You, you ever wonder why you die? You die because, because you sin, but more founded fundamentally because you are in Adam. To live, we must be born a second time from the second Adam, Jesus Christ. We are born again through faith alone in Christ alone. Um... Should we sing out or should we have a little Q&A? Let's do a little Q&A and then maybe we'll take the time to sing out. We can push the hymn to next week if we need to like we did last week. Okay. A few five minutes to rhapsodize. Yep. Um, so I was curious as to whether any of the commentators that you read on this passage talked about how... Augustine probably misinterpreted the Greek where in, in verse 12... Well, he didn't have the Greek. He couldn't read Greek. Right. He had Latin. Yeah, I did read a little bit on that. Yep. Go ahead. That does, of, of course, all the reformers were... Augustine was their... Was their guy. ...primary influence. Yes. Um, or certainly so an does, important one. Um, does the whole federal headship idea depend on that misreading or can no. you get there... I definitely don't think so because I, I read I read widely enough in some really high powered thick commentaries and then of course some that weren't that no I don't think it hinges on his Augustine's reading of from the Latin um, no I think that's one of the reasons I wanted to talk about I think there's a lot of contextual evidence in fourteen and beyond for um, uh, for the fact that it's not just through you know it's all don't all don't die just because of their own individual sin, but really that it hooks into, especially in 15 through 19, Paul shows us, seems to show, seems to show us clearly, but difficultly, difficult for my will, difficult for my mind, that, um, 
our um, our death is 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 really because of foundationally because of our being in Adam. It would destroy the parallelism of the passage to hold that, because then you would have to say conversely that if we die, if it's based on our individual sins, then somehow conversely it would be. It wouldn't work with Christ. Merit. It wouldn't work with Christ. It exactly. Work with Christ. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, so I think the larger contextual argument, not just the minutia and some of the technical exegetical minutia, which can be difficult, because there are a lot of questions there um, in some of these passages that we started to unpack some, but really in the in the larger contextual. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So um, how do you? What's she doing out there? Is there a conflict there with Ezekiel saying that? Children shouldn't be put to death for the sins of the fathers. That everybody should be judged based on their own sin. Um, I want I want to on the surface say no because the scriptures there can be paradoxes, but there's no actual contradictions. But um, I'd have to look at is that in you know exactly where that is in Ezekiel. I'm familiar with the passage, but is, it's not in. Um, so so no, I don't think there's a contradiction. There could be an apparent contradiction. Um, I might have to get back to you on that one. Um, but find it. If you can find it for me, then maybe I can dig while somebody else is asking a but question. It, and, it may be the difference in like a human law and the, and the righteousness of a human law or the justness of a human law punishing children for the sins of their father versus the, yeah. the consequences, like the intergenerational consequences of sin, which is yeah. taught throughout the Bible. Yeah, so I, I do think that, um, yeah, related to that as you were talking, the idea that, and this may be exactly what you're saying, but the idea that, yeah, um, so if I can take maybe two concrete scenarios. One, you know, a father steals something, the son's not going to be punished for that, versus two, that's really not touching on the fact that we are, we're born in Adam. Is in, Ezekiel, I could almost say with certainty, isn't saying that we, um, that, that, that those who are born won't be um, won't be um, those that are born won't be held accountable for their father Adam for what he's done they won't be represented by Adam Um, they won't you know so I I don't I don't I don't think that's what he's saying I think that maybe Ezekiel says something similar but the passage I was thinking of was in Deuteronomy 24 okay so that that could just be more the civil that's the divorce passage isn't it yeah Okay. Yeah. I think that what Jordan said seems right and that it's yeah, seems to be more saying, hey, if and here's a in Deuteronomy twenty four seven, if a man's found stealing, in other words, look, uh, then we're not gonna punish his children. Now things now we know things can be sin patterns can be handed down. There can be consequences, intergenerational consequences from father to son there are. Um, but just as just as those can be broken through being brought back into through the grace of G, through the grace of God in Christ, our relationship with our heavenly Father, so um, so we can suffer consequences, intergenerational consequences, and and, and and zoomed out, that's that the consequence from our father Adam is extreme. Yeah, I, I guess um, um, I guess that might be the Deuteronomy passage might be more just the civil law of Israel because you also yeah. have the whole thing about. Yeah. Um, God visiting the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generations. That's true. Some of that could be the way God has ordered the world that sin patterns affect the children. Sure. 
And then just, just by way, and, and great, great insight, and then, and then to continue with that, to extrapolate a bit, in the, whole, the, the wider context of that passage, of course, it should be recognized, and I know you know this, is really one of grace, right? And that, um, and that, but, but his mercy will be, will be shown to the thousandth generation, right? So it's like, and, and again, I think wrapped up into that as well as the fact that, hey, God, he's slow to anger. You know, he, he doesn't fly off the handle. He's, he's, his, his, he's full of compassion. What he wants, and, and uh, John Calvin, and then we can, we can, I can formally close it, and then we can stay as long as we want to ask questions. I'll stop the recording. But John Calvin said that judgment is God's alien work. His, it's his alien work. We know this because of Jesus. He, 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 he would have rather, and he did, step into our shoes and take the punishment we deserved on himself. Than, than allow us to be in the state that we're in, to allow us to remain in that state. Uh, and, and, the, and Jesus shows us the very heart of God the Father. In the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, we see the very heart of God the Father. What makes God tick is Jesus with his arms outstretched, praying for his enemies, praying for us, right? Through our hatred, making a way for us to be reconciled to his Father. How wonderful. That's, that's the heart of God. It's, it's, it's hard and as abstruse and as hard on the will and the mind as is, is this can be. And, and hey, keep wrestling. Uh, like I said, last thing I'm going to provide all the answers. And I, you probably have more questions now, but that can actually be a good thing. But uh, what a wonderful text. Um, representation representation in, in the two atoms, one or the other, um, born into the first, born again, must be born again into the second to, be, to, to live. Um, let me uh, close in prayer, and then we can, we can, for those who want to, stay. And then for those who want to, you can leave. Um, thanks for coming. So let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for um, ah, your word. It's just so life-giving. It's so good. It's so heavy and substantial, and uh, it leads us to Jesus. Jesus, you are the word. You are the perfect expression of God, and you are God, and you are God's only son. And through, through you, we, we can become sons and daughters too. We can be reconciled to your Father. I pray that we would avail ourselves of that. And if we know you and we're in a relationship with you, I pray that the penny would just sink even deep, more deeply, more and more and more deeply, and that we would just rest and revel in um, what you've done for us uh, and your righteousness ours, that free gift through faith in you, and that that would uh, lead to holiness, greater holiness, greater joy, greater fruit for your glory, and so that many might come to know you. Um, can't wait to see you face to face. In the meantime, uh, fill us and send us out from here as salt and light. In Jesus' name, amen.